Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H brighton.org. Uh, if you're a first-time guest here, just want to welcome you. My name is Aaron. I'm so glad to have you guys. Uh, we've been in a teaching series in the book of Genesis. And so we always go book by book, chapter by chapter. And today we come to a love story. Ooh. Um, and so we all sort of love love stories in some regard. It's in all of our books and all of our movies for all of time. You've probably grown up watching and remember... Um, I can see you. Uh, remember seeing like any Disney movie always has some sort of love story or connection to it. So confession this morning, uh, Emily and I have enjoyed watching a TV show called Married at First Sight. <laughs> Just to be honest with you, I have seen that show and I like that show in some regard. And uh, we like to watch the show because it does a couple things for us. One, we learn a lot of stuff about ourselves in that. Every time I'm like, oh, I've done that. Oh, I've said that. This is not gonna go well for you, bro. Um, we learn areas that we need to grow in. And we're like, also like, hey, let's never do that. Let's never say those words to each other ever. And today in this scripture, we're actually seeing the very first episode of Married at First Sight, Genesis edition. We're watching an arranged marriage between Isaac and Rebecca. They've never met. They've never seen each other. And today they literally are like married at first sight. And so just like I can learn something from this crazy TV show, you can learn something from this crazy scripture as well. In fact, guys, uh, you'll, you'll notice that this passage is like 64 verses long. It's a long passage, and there's a lot of implications that you can pick up from this. But mainly, we're going to look at sort of like four people and see what can I learn from these four. We're going to look at Abraham and Isaac and Rebecca and the servant. And you can draw several things from this. We're going to just boil it down and learn just a few of these. So I'm going to walk through the passage together, and then we'll pull out some take-home applications for us. And hopefully, whether you're dating, single, married, or just you hate people, which is totally fine as well. I'm just kidding. But this is literally for everybody. So don't think like, oh man, I'm like, I'm not dating someone, or I'm not married, or like, I don't want to date right now, or I don't want to, like, that's all fine. Like, there's tons for us to learn in this passage that's not just about relationships. However, though, if you're taking notes, we are entitling this message, Married at First Sight, Genesis Edition. You are welcome. All right, verse one, here's how it starts. Now, Abraham was old and he was well advanced in years, in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things, which is so true if you've been with us the past multiple weeks, right? You have watched God bless Abraham in so many categories, haven't we, right? Like, I mean, he's got the physical blessing of long life. The dude is 140 years old when this story takes place, right? Like that's super old, like almost as old as Brandon, right? <laughs> Just kidding, buddy. I love you, man. Brandon's helped me out a whole bunch. Guys, I got called to a grand jury. I'll be serving for like three months of my life. Brandon's gonna help step in and preach for us. He's on our elder track. Kyle's as well. So Brandon, I make old jokes, but uh, I love you, buddy. And I appreciate all your care for me and Kyle, you as well. Um, not only did Abraham have like, like physical life blessing, but he had relational blessing. God gave him a wife and he has children. He's got a good family. He's also got spiritual blessing. Like he has a relationship with God. And in fact, God gave him the gift of forgiveness and the gift of righteousness by simply believing in what he's done. We see that in Genesis 15. But we all see that God has blessed Abraham financially. Like he's got a lot of big resources here. He's got a ton of land, lots of possessions, lots of food, lots of cattle. Dude is rich. God has blessed him indeed. And now we see that Abraham is coming to the very end of his life. And he wants to use all these blessings to what? Be a blessing to others. And specifically, he wants to be a blessing to his son, Isaac. And that's what this chapter, guys, is really all about. God is fulfilling his promise to bless Abraham and to multiply his children on the face of the earth so that one day what would happen? A Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be born through his family line and that would be the savior from our sins. So today, here's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see that God is orchestrating the next steps of Abraham's family line. And God's gonna do that by helping Isaac find a wife through the help and the blessing of Abraham. So again, here's what we're gonna see here, verse two. So here's how Abraham does this. Verse two, Abraham said to his servant, who is the oldest of the household at the time, he's in charge of everything. He's super responsible. He's probably a firstborn child. Like he's got, you know, like super type A tendencies. And here's what he says. He says, hey servant, 
put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Now guys, listen, we don't wanna go into a lot of details here like my commentaries did, but aren't you just glad that we don't make oaths like this anymore? Like I'm grateful for the whole like raise your right hand thing rather than like the, hey, raise your right hand and put it underneath my thigh approach, okay? It's a little less invasive that way. We won't go into details. Ask me later if you're curious. But here's the point of this moment here. It's to show the seriousness of the oath that Abraham is making with his servant. And this oath is promising to help Abraham continue the family line. That's what this oath is about. So that a Messiah, Jesus, would come through this line one day. And he's like, servant, I'm gonna give you this sort of graphic moment here in order for you to remember that the line must continue so a Messiah must come. So I need you to swear, make an oath here that you're gonna promise to help me make this line happen. So then Abraham continues this oath ceremony by saying to his servant, swear by the Lord that you will not, he says, you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom we all dwell. But verse four, you will go to my country where I'm from. You'll go to my kindred and you'll take a wife for my son, Isaac, there. Now guys, we gotta ask, why is, so, why is Abraham so intense here? Like, why is he so intense that he's gotta have a wife for Isaac from the land that he has come from and not the land that he is current living in? Why does he have to have a wife from his hometown Haran and not his current land of Canaan? It's because he knows that so much of life, guys, is affected by two major decisions. There are more, but Abraham knows that life is affected by two major decisions. One, who you worship, and number two, if and who you wed. He knows that life is affected by these massive decisions. And guys, we're, in a moment, we'll consider those decisions as well. But unfortunately, the place and the practice of those, or the, the, uh, the faith and practice of those living in Canaan, uh, they're opposed to the ways of God. Like they don't wanna worship God, they're against him. And so Abraham had to help Isaac in his search. He's like, there's not a lot of options right here where you live. And so we gotta go to a place where others share the same faith-filled views of marriage that we do. A view where both spouses would seek to honor God and to benefit each other and to serve others until death do they part. And so Abraham and Isaac sought after the oldest in the household, the most responsible servant, the most wise among them, to help them search for their wife for Isaac. So here's how the servant responds to their request, verse five. He says, so hold on a second. So like perhaps the woman is like not willing to follow me back to this land. Like, must I take your son and go back to the land from which you came? Is that like, that's what's supposed to happen? Am I supposed to like bring the son and bring him back there? Which is a fair question, right? Like he's like, so like, hold on a second. Suppose I find a suitable option but she doesn't want to come back here because like, you know, she doesn't know you, she doesn't know me and she feels creeped out about this whole thing. So like, what should I do if that happens if she won't come back with me? Like, what do I do? Abraham responds really strong in verse six. He says, see to it that you do not take my son back there. Like, don't do it. Then he goes on to some powerful display of trusting God to provide a wife for Isaac so that this family line can continue. Here's what Abraham says, verse seven. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I'll give this land. He will send an angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from that place. But if the woman, he says, to answer your question, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then listen, you're gonna be free from this oath of mine. You're free to come back. You don't have to look any further. But again, don't take my son there. He emphasizes that again. So what's the servant do? Verse nine, he puts his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and he swore to him concerning this matter. So guys, let's just take a moment here. Let's just pause. And can we just consider how far Abraham has come in his faith journey here? Like he's not compromising like he used to. He is compelled to trust God at his word. He is convinced that when God promises something in scripture, he will always fulfill it every single time. And so in this moment, he is no longer wavering. He's not waffling on whether he'll trust God at his word or not. Listen, he knows that God has said, Abraham, listen, your family line is gonna continue long after you're dead. And through that family line, a Messiah, Jesus Christ, the savior of our sins will come. 
So therefore, Abraham trusts God. He trusts that God will provide a wife for Isaac so that the line can continue. God is, listen, this is key. He's convinced of God's faithfulness in the future because he's seen God's faithfulness in his past, which is a great practice for all of us to consider, Christian. So listen, number one here, something you can pull out from this text. Guys, let us recount God's faithfulness to us in the past so that you can have confidence to rely on his faithfulness in the future. Guys, verse seven is Abraham looking backwards. He's looking backwards and saying, God, you have taken me out of this land. You have taken me from my kindred. You have taken me from this land. You have promised me these things. You've promised me a son. You've promised me a land. You've given me both now. And because I've seen your faithfulness in the past, I have confidence you'll be faithful in the future. Christian, this is why I love journaling. I love journaling. I have a note section on my computer and I can just record over and over what has God done to be faithful to me in the past. So when I struggle to wonder if he's gonna be faithful to me in the future, I can look back and be like, oh man, here's his track record. Look at what he said in his word. Look at what he says in this circumstance. Look at this time in like, 2015 when this was going on and I can track his faithfulness in the past that we have confidence of his faithfulness in the future. And guys, that's why I love the Bible also. It's not just my track record of God's faithfulness. I get Abraham's track record of God's faithfulness and Moses and David and Peter and Deborah and all these women in the Old Testament of Miriam. I, I get to see the testimony of God's faithfulness. And guys, this is a great thing for us to consider. Do what Abraham does, especially when you're struggling. To know, God, are you with me? God, what are you doing? I'm gonna be honest with you. Like when I went to jury duty this past week, I'm like, oh, I'm so gonna get dismissed. There's not a chance I'm gonna have to serve. There's 200 of us in the room. And there's gonna be six called to the grand jury that serves for three months. I'm like, there's not a chance. Numbers are dwindling down. I'm looking across, they call my name. I get up there and interview. I'm like, I, you've, been so, you've been so what? You've been selected? How am I going to do this for three months of my life? Like every day from like nine to four, Monday through Thursday. How am I going to like love my family and like do this thing called be a pastor and like have a job? Like, I, and I still don't know. I'm like, God, what are you doing here? But also I know that if God's been faithful to me in the past, he'll be faithful to me in the future. Over and over, I can just record God's promises. So even that day, I'm like preparing my sermon, like on the way on the tee, like my notebook's out. Everyone's looking at me with like my, my Bible out, my journal notes. I'm like, I'm like, I've got no other time to do this. And so like, I, I created my little journal here. I'm like, I'm writing down, God, how can I see your faithfulness even in this circumstance right now? So I got a page of notes and hopefully I'll, I won't be able to do it maybe every day, but I'm taking notes, God, how am I seeing you're faithful to me? How are you making this good in my life? This three months, I know I'm gonna help bring justice in the city and that's what I'm grateful for. Praise God, but also like, God, what are you gonna do in my life here? This is inconvenient, it's hard for me. I'm taking lists and notes. I'm not perfect at this, but I wanna encourage you, Abraham is doing this. Abraham's making a list. God, where have you been faithful? Because I'm struggling with my future, but I can look to my past. I love what he's doing here. Number two, here's what you can learn here. Trust in God's will and God's ways that are found in God's word every time. That's what Abraham's doing. He said, God, you have spoken to me and said, the Messiah will come through your family line. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars, meaning spiritual offspring. Those who have trusted in Christ will be connected to Abraham and his family line. Guys, Abraham is just taking God at his word. He's listening to God's word. He's trusting in God's word. Guys, we must do the same thing. I, I've used this cheesy line to you before. Sometimes I feel like I'm Dr. Seuss every week because I'm like, they just rhyme. I can't help it. Like guys, our calling as Christians is to read God's word, heed God's word, and then feed God's word to other people. Like, I don't know another way to say that. Like, that's just what we're called to do. You read God's word, you heed it, you do what it says. And then in community groups, we're feeding it to each other. Guys, we've got to trust God's will in God's word and live out according to God's ways. That's what Abraham's doing. He just listens to God's word. He's like, yeah, I, I trust you, God. You told me that you're going to do this. I'm, I'm going to trust you. Guys, how often do you get in the most trouble when you stop trusting God? You stop thinking he's good to you anymore. You stop thinking he's gonna be helpful. You, you stop trusting his promises. That's where you and I get in the most trouble. And that's what Abraham's not doing in this case. Finally, at 140 years old, dude's got a jacked up track record of not trusting in God's word. And now he's like, dude, I'm, I'm old, I'm tired, I'm 140. I'll just trust you, God. Like, I'll just trust you. Guys, I don't want you to wait till you're 140 or you're 80 or you're 70 to start trusting. But trust him on his word. If he says something in the scriptures about how to live, it's for your good. Would you trust him? Even if you feel differently, 
Would you trust the facts of God's word? Because that's what's good. That's what's honoring. That's what will help you. Number three, we see here, let God's word help you navigate dating and marriage wisely. Ooh, amen. Come on, amen. Let God's word help you navigate dating and marriage wisely. First thing, got a couple sub things here. Let it guide you for what you're looking for and who you're looking for. Let the Bible guide you for what you're looking for and who you're looking for. Single ladies, just for a quick moment, use the list of qualifications that are found in 1 Timothy 3. There's a list of qualifications that say, hey, these are men that are qualified for leadership and pastoral ministry in the church. God gives you a list in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Ladies, it would be good to read that list and seek a man that has that type of qualities. He's honorable. He's truthful. He's hospitable. He's able to teach. He's above reproach. He's kind. He's not greedy. He's not quick-tempered. He's not arrogant. Read that list and let the Bible guide you to a godly man if you're seeking marriage who will love and serve you well. Hey, single dudes, listen to me. Use a list of qualities that are found in Proverbs 31. It personifies wisdom as a woman in that chapter. And so it's, that, it's not a real woman per se in that chapter, but it's wisdom personified as a woman. And the list of qualities there are phenomenal. So single men that are desiring marriage, look at that list of qualities from Proverbs 31 and seek a godly woman who would love and serve you well, just like our women should do. In fact, guys, when I became a Christian when I was age 20, I had no idea what I was looking for in a wife. No idea. I knew I wanted to get married, had no idea what to look for. I was like, I hope she's pretty and I hope she likes baseball. Like, that's all I had. Like, I, I knew nothing. Still know nothing. Until I read Proverbs 31, and I saw this woman who was wise and she was loving and kind, but she was strong and she was hardworking and she was servant-hearted. She was disciplined. And she beautifully sought after honoring God. And I was like, yeah, that's it. I want one of those. Where do I find it? Like, I want to marry that. And I began to pray and ask God, God, would you help me become a man worthy of that type of woman in that passage? And so when I met Emily a few years later, I actually remember pulling out this passage and looking at my notes. And I'm like, God, she reminds me of that type of woman from your word. And so God, would you help me to be a worthy man of marrying this type of girl, Emily? Then a year later, I ended up reading this passage to you, Emily, and my proposal asking Emily to marry me. I'm like, hey, I don't know what I'm looking for, but you match this thing and I'd like to, I'd like to marry you if you, if you would. Guys, I'm letting scripture, I'm, maybe I'm just like super ignorant and super dumb, but it's working for me right now. I'm just looking at it and say, God, this is what seems to be an honorable woman who loves you and is hardworking, is gracious and kind and strong, disciplined, hardworking. And God, I, this just makes sense to me. And God used that over time to lead me to Emily. And guys, I'm still trying to be a man worthy of being married to Emily, the type of girl that she is. Guys, even 10 years later, of our marriage. We just celebrated 10 years, guys. I'm still trying to use the Bible to help me better to love Emily the way she deserves to be loved. In fact, Ephesians 5 is one of my guides to do that, although I do it imperfectly. It calls me to better serve Emily and sacrifice for Emily and surrender my life for Emily, to better love Emily and lead Emily and lavish her with care, just as Christ has done for me. So guys, I'm imperfect at this, but I'm trying to let scripture guide me. So if you're interested in dating or being married, or maybe you are married, let scripture guide how you navigate those relationships, what you're looking for and how you should live out those relationships. Let the scriptures do that. That's what we see in Abraham. He's like, hey, we, we can't find a wife in this area, Isaac, because she doesn't follow God. And they're rebelling against God's ways. And so we need to go here. Abraham's using some qualifications for who his son should be dating. And Isaac's like, yeah, dad, I, I agree. Let the word guide you for who you're looking for. Now, guys, you're not going to like this one, but here you go. Another sub point here. Dating should always be personal, but should never be private. You're not going to like this one. Here we go. Got an amen for last one, not this one. <laughs> Dating should always be personal, but should never be private. Here's what I mean, guys. Guys, we've got to let wise people speak into our relationships. We got to let wise people speak into your dating pursuits and your marriages. Guys, Isaac allowed his dad, his dear old dad, to help him find a wife. And Isaac allowed Abraham's servant to help him. 
Guys, Isaac knew he had some blind spots. Isaac's got some temptations. He's going to let rose-colored glasses take him over. Maybe Isaac's had a little bit of past. He's, he's picked the wrong girl several times and he's struggling here. And so he's like, I need to bring in some wise counsel. It's personal for Isaac, but it's not private. He doesn't do it alone. He gets counsel. He asks others to pray for him, to support him, even to help him find a spouse. And guys, you need the same thing. Same thing, my single friends who are looking to marry. Guys, if this is the path you take, this will save you a ton of heartache if you let wise counsel speak into your dating pursuits. Guys, even married couples, you should still receive wise counsel about how to better love and serve and care for your spouse. We cannot do this alone. We can never isolate in our relationships. Guys, we are to use the community that God has given us to help support you in your singleness and your dating and your marriage journey. Guys, it should always be personal, yes, but it should never be private. Use the community God has given to you. I'll amen myself. Amen. Here we go. Now the story continues in verse 10. You guys are so gracious dealing with my nonsense. Verse 10. So the servant takes of his master's camel. So he agrees to this, by the way, which we'll get to his work ethic in a moment. The servant, how he just, I love this guy. I don't know who he is. He doesn't have his name, but I love him. The servant agrees to this weird moment, this weird oath moment, which we won't talk about much longer. He takes 10 of his master's camels and he departs. He goes on his search for Isaac's spouse. He takes all sorts of choice gifts from his master and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Now, quick side note, guys, that's a lot of camels. 10 camels, which probably means two things. Number one, that Isaac and Abraham loaded up a ton of gold and a ton of silver and a ton of gifts to lavish on his future wife. Now that was my approach with Emily because I don't got good looks. I didn't have a lot of money either, but I got to use whatever I got. Maybe Isaac is not a looker like me. That's okay. You got to use what you got. And Isaac and his dad, who's like, bro, listen, we got to add four more camels because, you know, it's you. Now, I have no idea, but there's at least a ton of gold that's on here. Number two, his future wife, maybe she's an accessory girl. Maybe she got lots of shoes that's coming back with her, lots of clothes, lots of bags. I don't know what Abraham's anticipating, but there's 10 camels that are going to have to bring all her stuff back to live with Isaac if they get married. So maybe that's too what's happening. But being 10 camels, that's a lot going on. So here's what happens. So the servant packs up the camels. He hops on one. And then the dude takes a 500-mile journey to Nahor. That's a long way. That's a committed friend. That's a committed friend. But again, when you use community in a healthy way to help us pursue our singleness and dating and marriage, this is what God does. He uses each other in this path, this journey. So it's also interesting that this is arguably why Abraham sends a servant because it's a 500 mile journey. The dude's 140 years, 140 years old. Like leave him alone, right? That's, that's a long journey. The guy doesn't have to go, okay? He's old, it's a long way. He sends a servant. So after this massively long journey, the servant finally reaches Nahor, verse 11. So he makes the camels because they're tired. They lay down outside the city by the well of water at the evening time which happens to be, you see the build here, the time when women would go out to draw water. Mm-hmm. We see what you're doing here, bro. We know what you're up to. He's posting up at the city well, like some Old Testament version of going to the bar or getting out there on Tinder. Like that's, something's happened. That's what he's doing. He's out there with this profile picture of him, you know, side next to his 10 camels with all the gold. Like that's what he's doing. Trying to like be strategic here. He's going to where the woman would be gathered at the time that women would be gathered. But it's not doing the creepy way, okay? But more importantly, what I love about this moment is that he's going where the type of women would go that he would want Isaac to marry. He's going to that place. The women that would be drawing water are the type of women that are strong and responsible. They're caring and they're kind. They're disciplined, they're hardworking because they're drawing water for themselves, but also for their families and friends. And so they're, they're hardworking and they're, they're kind and they're, they're gracious. And, and the servant's like, this is where I gotta go to find this type of woman. So what we're seeing here is that the servant is going to the places and spaces where the character of the spouse he's looking for counts the most and can be found the best. Y'all see where I'm going here? Can we just pause there for a moment? Christian, listen, where you look for a spouse 
how you look for a spouse and what you look for a spouse all matters to God. That's number four. Christian, where you look for a spouse, how you look for a spouse, what you look for a spouse, all matters to God. All of it matters. The servant goes to look in the places where character counts, not just where looks and money count. If you're drawing water, I'm just gonna be honest with you, and you out there like in 100 degree weather, and you're carrying like massive, massive jugs of water on your shoulder, man, you got like mascara run down your face and your lipstick's everywhere. And like, you're not like, but he doesn't care about that. What he's looking for is a place where the character counts, not where looks count, not, not where money counts. He's looking for a spouse for Isaac that has a godly life, not just good looks. Just a quick word here to our single Christians who are looking for a spouse. Guys, listen, this might mean, might mean, listen, it might mean that dating apps are doing more harm than good if you're not careful. I'm not throwing out all dating apps here. I'm not hating on that. Listen to me. I'm not hating on that. Listen, but if you're not careful, here's what can happen. Dating apps can often train you to judge a person by their appearance and just a few words on our profile page before you make a decision on their life, swipe or swipe, and you just discredit them. And how many times has that maybe happened to you when you're wishing, like, I wish someone got a chance to know me. Like they didn't just judge me by the way I looked. They didn't swipe left or swipe right on me. That's what I love what's happening here. The servant's going to where character matters. So let me ask you, single Christian who's looking to, to marry, are you looking in the right places and are you looking for the right things? Are you letting scripture guide you Another way to say this, are you spending more time in the Bible or the bar looking for someone? Are you more time in the word or in the world looking for someone? I'm not throwing out all avenues to meet someone. I'm not throwing out the bar. I'm not throwing out online dating. I'm not throwing out dating apps. But I'm saying is that, are you looking for the right things? Where are your eyes focused on? Have you been trained to think, man, she's got to be at this level and I can kind of really care less about the rice and I'm willing to compromise. Does he have the money? Does he have the status? Does he have a secure job? Important, yeah. But is it the main thing we should be looking for here? And so we've got to search in the right places where godly character can be found the most. And guys, I'm not anti get your CG to help you set, set you up or your pastor to set you up. I'm not, not, not against that. And that's what we see here even with Isaac and the servant. He's getting some help and that's fine. Guys, it's difficult. If you're a Christian in Boston, how easy is it for you to date in the city? Some of y'all, you're like laughing. You're like, dude, it's hard. It's absolutely hard, 100%. And so guys, let's use godly resources. Yes, use our wisdom. Yes, it's fine to go on dates, but let's do it in a godly way. Let's look for the right things. Let's look for the character, not just looks and beauty. Let's be like this servant looking for the right things in the right places. All right, back to the story. Now I love this next part, okay? Verse 12, the servant's at the well. He's looking the right places. And look what his very first action step is when he gets to the well. It's prayer. Prayer's his very first action step. And he says this, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Church number five, what's important in this passage is that prayer matters. Prayer matters. Not just when you're dating, not just when you're looking for a spouse all the time. Guys, may we be a praying people about any and all the decisions that we make. Can you just get in his shoes for a moment? Dude is like, this is not his spouse. I understand if he's praying, if like he's the one looking for a spouse. Dude's like, God, will you just give me favor in what you've given me to do as a job? God, you're my God and I've been called by my employer to do this thing. Would you help me be faithful? Would you give me success today in what I do? Could you, guys, would you just do that in your work, in your life, in your parenting, in your calling? Imagine just living like this, that prayer matters so much so that you don't just pray about the big things, you pray about everything. And that's what the servant is doing. Guys, how often are we pausing to pray like this when we're doing our job, when we're making decisions? Do you take a quick moment? This is not a long prayer, guys. How often do you pause like this? Those of you who desire to marry, how often are you praying to find the right spouse? And how often are you praying to be the right spouse for someone? Marrieds, listen, how often are you praying for your spouse? Are you praying that God would give you a successful 
and faithful marriage. Guys, prayer matters. In the weirdness of this chapter, we see the servant praying, God, would you give me success? Would you give me favor? Would you help me? Guys, let's be a people about prayer. Pray about everything, everything in your life. So he continues his prayer in verse 13 and 14. He says this, behold, God, I'm standing by the spring of water. Not like God needed to know that, but I love that God cares about every detail. Hey, God, I'm over here. I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men of the city, they're coming out to draw the water. Let the young woman to whom I say, please, lady, let down your drink, let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, yeah, sure, drink. And I will water your camels. God, please, with that scenario, I want that to happen. Let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant, Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Now, guys, I'm not recommending that you do this as a practice. Like, God, I'm hopping on the tee today. Let her be, let him be in a blue shirt and a fedora. I don't, I don't know what your preference is. I got no clue, okay? God, let him wear, I, don't, I have no clue. I'm not saying that you should pray like this, but I want you to see the details. God, he, he, is, he is praying, God, help me find a woman of character is what he's saying. Help her want to be a servant. Help me find someone who's servant-hearted, that she'll give me water, she'll give my camels water. God, help me find a woman or a man that loves you, that's humble, that's hardworking. Do you see that that's really what he's praying about? He's not just, God, help me walk on the tee and see this type of person that she'll give me water. No, he's praying about the character. Guys, let us pray this for even our kids. Not about marriage, but God, help our child be with this character when they grow up. Let them have this heart for you. God, I pray for my community group. I pray for my leaders. I pray for my pastor to have this type of character, God. Let them be servant-hearted. This is the type of prayers we should pray. And this is what we see happening here. Guys, I love this. Over and over again, we see the servant is using kindness and care and responsibility as a metric of what he's looking for. Guys, he's not just looking for beauty, which fades, by the way, on everyone except Emily, of course. But he's saying, Emily, I love you. I'm glad you're at service today. You are beautiful, sweetheart. But what he's doing here is he's saying, God, would you bring me a woman who is a woman of generosity and hospitality? Let her offer water to me and my camels as proof of this character. God, would you bring this type of person? And guys, listen, we should pursue those type of characteristics. Let's pursue those type of characteristics if we're looking to marry. Let's look for kindness and responsibility and generosity and a love for the Lord relationally. Yes, but listen, for all of us, let's pursue those characteristics in and of ourselves personally as well. If you're looking to get married, yes, look for those relationally, but for yourself, for all of us, married, not married, doesn't matter. Let's be those characteristics ourselves. Let's seek to honor God in living the way that he's lived to us. Let's put on Christ and live out his characteristics that we see here. Verse 15, but before, I love this, this climactic moment, but before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, I love this, Rebecca, who is born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abram's brother. She comes out with her water jar on her shoulder. And the young woman was very attractive in appearance. Notice the order of significance. It's not unimportant to think that your spouse is beautiful. I think it is important to have an attraction to who you want to marry. At the same time, notice the importance of the order. We don't learn that until later. Everything else he's looking for in the right places, in the right thing, and then secondarily, we find out about her appearance. The young woman was very attractive in her appearance. She's a maiden. She was not married. No man had known her. And she went down to the spring and she filled up her jar and came. I love this moment, verse 17. This dude has no game. The servant runs up and meets her. I love that. Any of us, even me, we all have hope, okay? I love that moment. He just runs up to her and he says, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. Guys, that won't work at a bar. That won't work at a restaurant. Don't try that game plan. Won't go well for you, but I love that moment. Just how raw and real it is. Verse 18, and she said, drink my Lord, humble, servant-hearted, doesn't miss a beat. And then notice this, she quickly let down her jar. She's not like, oh, fine, I have to serve you today. Look at her heart. She quickly let down her jar upon her hand and she gave him a drink. Water that she just worked for. Verse 19, when she had finished giving him a drink on her own fruition, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. 
Then verse 20 again. So she quickly, you see it again, quickly she emptied her jar into the trough. And then again, she ran again to the well to draw the water. And she drew for all those 10 camels. Verse 21. Now I love this. The man just gazed at her in silence (laughs) to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. I love this. The dude just stared at her. He's gawking in silence and amazement. The fact, and I think he was doing this, the fact that she drew water for 10 camels is just wild. Guys, I nerded out and I spent way too much time looking at how long camels can hold water and how much, I like lost like 30 good minutes that I should have been working to learn about camels. Guys, here's what I found, okay? Because camels can drink between 20 and 30 gallons of water in like one sitting. Y'all, that's 300 gallons of water she's hauling for camels. And she chose to do this on her own. I had to get that out. She, she's showing just how hardworking she is, how caring, how sacrificial, how strong, how resolved, how committed she is about caring for others. Because she is looking to go the extra mile for others and not just looking out for her own interest. She's a godly woman. Church, may we all be like this type of woman, male or woman alone. Let's all be like this type of woman. We have this godly character and how we're willing to go the extra mile to serve others. Because this woman's pointing us to Jesus, how he went to the extra mile on the cross and sacrificed and gave his life. Didn't just draw water, but drew his last breath so we could be saved from our sins. This woman's pointing us to the sacrifice of Jesus. Guys, even further to note here, I didn't know where to put it, so here it is. Welcome. Guys, the servant provides a pretty good model. Not a perfect model, but the servant provides a pretty good model for how we should think about dating in this passage. That's number six. A pretty good model, not perfect. Why it's not perfect is because also, just to let you know, like the servant had to go back and like there are relatives. So this kind of feels a little weird here. There's different laws. They're not like brother and sister, but they are like, Abraham's like great niece is Rebecca. So that's why it's not a perfect thing for dating. I don't recommend you go to your family to find a spouse, but just wanted to make that note. That's why it's not a perfect model here. Okay, here's why it is a good model though, okay? Here's why it is a good model. The servant was patient with the Lord's timing. He was patient for the Lord's timing. Guys, can I just tell you, Isaac is 40 years old in this story, 40 years old. And for some of us, you feel like, man, I'm getting too old. Time is running out and I'm 40 years old or I'm 50 years old and I I just don't know if it's gonna work out for me. I I wanna get married. And this passage gives us great hope just to say, hey, be patient on God's timing. Be patient on God's timing. You're not being punished. You're not getting beat up. It's not because God loves you less. It's not because God doesn't care. I don't know why. It's not because he doesn't love you. If you're eagerly desiring a spouse and you feel like Isaac, I want you to be patient with God's timing. I know you've heard that but I want you to feel seen in this passage that Isaac's 40 years old in the Bible in chapter 25 stops to make sure that we know he's 40 because it's rare. It's rare during that day for someone to be 40 and be married in that day. And so Isaac is probably feeling that maybe many of us, man, I'm in my 20s and 30s and 40s and God, when are you gonna, when are you gonna do something like this? Because I want you to be patient with the Lord's timing and trust him here. We also see that he was prayerful, the servant was. He was prayerful that he would meet the right person. While Isaac was praying, we learn in verse 63, that Isaac was praying that he would be the right person. So guys, we should pray that we meet the right person, but also that we would be the right person. When I say right person, I don't mean perfect person. None of us are the perfect person. You will marry the wrong person because they're sinful. No one's the right person. No one's the perfect person, but you know what I mean. That you pray to meet the right person, the godly person, and that you would be a godly person. We also learn that he pursued godly qualities and he pursued them with godly motives. It's a good thing. Guys, we learn that he positioned himself in the places and spaces where godly character counts and that those qualities could be found. He positioned himself well. And he didn't compromise his standards just because the search was hard. He didn't give up. He didn't compromise. He was patient. He was prayerful. He pursued the right things. And guys, may we all be like that, whether single or married or looking for a spouse or not. May may us all be patient. May we all be prayerful. May we all pursue the right things no matter what. And so listen, just another word. If you feel like you're Isaac and you're like, what about me? Guys, I don't want you to compromise. 
Won't you stay faithful to God? And listen, God will bless that regardless of whether it results in marriage or not. Because honoring and following God in your dating and your life, it will result in good for you and God's glory, no matter what, even if it's not a spouse, amen? We should honor God not for the results of something, but because he's worthy of us following him and it will result in good for us. Verse 22, so when the camels had finished drinking, the servant took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. And he said, please, would you tell me whose daughter you are? I wanna go and do this sort of formal proposal thing. Is there room at your father's house for us to spend the night? Basically, he's asking again for hospitality here. And because this woman's of godly character, she says in verse 24, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder for the camels. And yeah, we got room to spend the night. Come with me. So the men bowed his head and he worshiped the Lord in verse 27. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love to his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in this way to the house of my master's kinsman. The second time we see the servant pray, the second time he's worshiping in the middle of his workday. Man, I wish we were the same way. Watching God during our workday and then praising him when he works through our workday. Verse 28, then the young woman, she ran and she told her mother's household about all the things. She's bringing in her wise counsel too. Hey, look at what happened. Should I go with him? Should I not? Should I marry this guy? I never met, married at first sight. Guys, what a great moment in this story, right? Guys, they are both hype. He breaks out into a praise break in the middle of this moment with her they stand there. And she runs home to tell her entire family what happened. Guys, I love this story. Now we are gonna fast forward a bit for sake of time. And we see in verse 29 and 30 that Rebecca does go and she tells her family about Isaac and how he sent the servant to help him find a wife. So she tells all her family, she shows all the riches that she gets, which sweetened the deals, of course. And then her brother, Laban, which we'll get to, Laban. Dude, we're gonna find out in a couple of weeks that this dude is just a bad guy. I don't know the way, so he's just an evil guy. And he could care less about Rebecca and this whole proposal thing until he sees the 10 camels of riches that Abraham and Isaac put and put on for Rebecca. And so in verse 55 and 56, he tries to finagle some more riches. And so he's like, hey, Rebecca should stay 10 more days. Maybe you should negotiate with something with me and then she could go. Like, this is just a bad dude and it gets worse in his story. So Laban, with this deceit in his heart, he sees the gold. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, come on, come stay with us tonight. Have dinner with the servant. The servant goes on to tell the story of what just happened in almost word for word detail of what we just walked through in verse one through 29. So we're not gonna go over it again. But at the very end of his retelling of this story, he says in verse 49, hey, now then, since I've caught you up and showed you how God orchestrated that whole thing about Rebecca and drawing water for me and my camels like I had prayed, if you're gonna show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I might turn to the right or the left and keep on my search. Then Laban, who by the way, shouldn't even be speaking for his sister, and he can't help but to put his opinions in everything he does. He speaks up with his dad and says, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. By the way, Rebecca does get a voice in this. This is not just take my daughter and go, but this, is, this moment's the equivalent of like a guy going to uh, the girl's dad and asking for her permission for marriage, a traditional thing. That's the equivalent of that in this moment. So in verse 52, when Abraham's heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord again. Third time you see this guy worshiping. And the servant brought out silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave some to Laban, to her mother, costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him, they ate and they drank and they spent the night there in joy. Now let's fast forward again a bit. They wake up the next morning, verse 57. And they said, hey guys, let's call the young woman. Let's call Rebecca and let's ask her. And if she accepts Isaac's proposal to the servant, then she can go with you if she wants. So they called Rebecca in verse 58 and said to her, hey, do you wanna go with this man? And she said, heck yeah, look how rich he is. Like, no, that's not, that's not what she says, right? She responds with a humble, but yet excited. Yes, I'll go. I will go. She wants this. Just by the way here, I, I think why she was so like readily to say yes was not just because of the riches, but if the servant was so godly, then I wonder how godly Isaac was gonna be. She's not just attracted to the riches here 
or his game, because he had no game, he just runs up in the middle of the well time. She's attracted to the godliness of the servant that probably reflects the godliness of Isaac. Guys, just again, what should we be looking for? But also what should we have for all of us be pursuing for ourselves? We should all be pursuing godliness in our own life. So here's what happens. She says, yes, I'll go. Then her family prays a blessing over her. And then verse 61, Rebecca and her young women arose. They rode on camels and they followed the man. And thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way back to Isaac. Now guys, just a word here about the servant I told you we get to. Number seven is the last one. Let's seek to honor God in everything we do. Really simple. Let's seek to honor God in everything we do is what the servant teaches us. Guys, this dude honestly could be the poster child for Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Guys, we see him pray and worship at least three times in this passage in the middle of other people. The dude is Pentecostal and I love it. I love it. He prays breaks right there no matter who's around. I love it. He's honoring God. He's working hard. Guys, he's working odd hours, traveling 500 miles to go find someone else, a spouse, when that's not what he went to school for. He went to school to be a servant, a hired hand to help out with some cattle in the house. Dude don't know how to find a wife. This is not in his job description. He works a tedious job and he's filled with like joy and praise and prayer. I wanna be like this guy. I love you, I love our church, but sometimes I'm just whiny. I just complain. Guys, listen, this guy took Abraham's oath seriously. He could be trusted with massive tasks, lengthy travel, a ton of financial resources. Can you? Can I? He displays good character at his work. He serves his boss well. He goes the extra mile, 500 extra miles to honor the job that's given to him. Can you? Can I? Guys, honestly, can we say the same thing about our jobs that God has placed into our laps? Guys, do you pray and worship him for the things that he does in and through and around your work, even if it doesn't relate to like God himself. He just is trying to help this guy find a wife and he's like praising God. He's praying and God's moving. Guys, do you pray and worship God like this in your work? Guys, you're even looking for how God could be at work through your job or your calling. Guys, even further, what I love, this servant used his platform. He used this moment to tell others about the goodness and love of God. At that moment at the dinner, when Laban invites him in, he sits down, like the servant goes into like an all out, like praise moment, telling them how faithful God is. Look at what God was doing. Like I was praying over here, bro. And then I like load the camels. I was like, I don't know how it's going to work out. And then like, he like tells his whole story about how faithful God is in front of the whole family. He's testifying at every moment about how good and loving God is. Guys, do you look for every opportunity in your life to tell about the goodness and love of God found in Jesus on the cross? Do you see your job like he did as a platform to advance the gospel? This is what we learned from the servant. Because I'm sure it wasn't glorious to travel 500 miles for a love story that wasn't even yours. But he saw his job as an avenue to advance the gospel and tell others of what God has done. That's what we learn here from the hired servant. And guys, let us seek to do the same thing in our own jobs and calling. So finally, here's the end. Here's the climax. Finally, verse 62 and verse 67. Isaac and Rebecca meet at last. Ooh, right? Verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from what journey he was on and he was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate. I love that. He's going out to pray as well. He's going out to have a devotional time with God. He goes to the field towards the evening. Just notice this, by the way, he's slowing down. He's getting away. He's prayerfully reflecting on God's word and his search for a spouse. God, we should do that all the time, no matter what we're doing. Slow down, take time to meditate, pray through what you're searching for, what you're going through. All of us should do that. And then here's what happens. Here's the moment. He lifted up his eyes. Music slows down, slow motion, hair in the breeze. That's what's happening. He lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. Verse 64, and Rebecca lifted up her eyes and she saw Isaac and she dismounted from the camel. Verse 65, and said to the servant, hey, who's this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it's my master. 
And so she took her veil and she covered herself, which is a sign of respect and humbled modesty in that day. Verse 66, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Verse 67, then Isaac brought Rebekah to the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah and she became his wife. And I love this. And he loved her. Of course, because she's godly. She's walking with her heavenly father. He trusted his friends to help him navigate this relationship. He didn't isolate off. He prayed. He waited. He was patient. Over time, this is what God did. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Man, what a great love story, right? I love how God orchestrated every providential detail of the meeting and of them getting married. But what I love most about the story, guys, is how it points us to a greater story, a story of God orchestrating another meeting at a well. But this time, it was with a woman who was the completely opposite of Rebecca. John 4 tells us that that woman was not faithful, that she didn't have a loving family, that she was not desired by anybody. And in her story, in John 4, we actually find our story. We're not Isaac. We're not Rebecca. We're not the servant. We're not Abraham. We're the John 4 story. We're the broken woman at the well. We aren't beautiful and we aren't perfect like Rebecca of Genesis 24. We are broken and imperfect like the woman at the well in John 4. But rather than God sending a servant to come and bring us into his family, like Genesis 24, God sends us himself, Jesus, like he did in John 4. And today he offers you the same question that was offered to Rebecca. Hey, would you go? Would you go? And God offers the same thing to you. Will you go with him today? This story is really not about marriage. It's really not about dating. It's really not about, well, God will give you a spouse. It's the fact that God gave you himself and he meets you at the well and your brokenness and imperfection. And he asks you the same question that was asked Rebecca. Will you go with him? So friend, I ask you, will you go with Christ today? Will you trust where he calls you to go? Will you trust that he died on the cross for your sins? That he lived in your place, died in your place, rose in your place, so you got a place with him? Will you go with him as he meets you at the well in your brokenness? Our God is good. And this story really is about how it points us to him. Let's pray. Let's pray.